Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design. Hello and welcome to the Sleeper 2020 podcast. I'm Guy Dietrich, editor-at-large of Sleeper magazine. We are picking up where we left off with our real-life events earlier this year to celebrate our 20th anniversary. This is a series of conversations with leading explorers, thinkers and artists in hospitality experience and design. Our aim is to take a long-term view, looking at where the worlds of hospitality and travel may be headed over the next two decades. We will look at the themes, trends and topics that will shape the landscape in years to come. And of course, we will now be looking at this through the lens of our new reality and how the coronavirus may alter or accelerate that future. Today, I'm delighted to say we're speaking to Bill Bensley, founder of Bensley, a design studio he founded in Bangkok in 1989, has another office in Bali and employing over 150 staff. Welcome, Bill. Congratulations. Over 30 years in business. That's good going. Well, thank you, Dr. Dietrich. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. (laughs) <laughs> Always a pleasure to hear your voice, Bill. Now, we've done several gigs over the years, Bill, the last decade or so. I can assure all our listeners uh, that they're going to come away invigorated uh, after listening to a man with such positive energy. And I'm just going to do a little introduction before we get into some questions uh, for you to take us through how we can look at design and hospitality over the next two decades. All righty. Bill, you moved to, to Asia in the 1980s to practice landscaping and have always been passionate about sustainability. Whilst everybody else has been in lockdown earlier this year, you published an open source white paper. It was entitled Sensible Sustainable Solution. And this is something that runs through all of your projects, and I'm sure we'll touch on that in a moment. There are over 200 projects in over 30 countries, uh, all across Southeast Asia, of course, but also Seychelles, St. Kitts, Puerto Rico, and more. You've created tented camps for Four Seasons, Capella and Rosewood, a temple-inspired hotel for the Intercontinental in Da Nang, Vietnam, palaces in India for Oberoi, in Sapa in the mountains of Vietnam for Accor's M Gallery, you d- delivered the Hotel de la Coupole, a marriage of hill tribe fashion and Parisian haute couture. And it was for this project that you won our Spa and Wellness Trophy at our Head of Asia Awards 2020. Same year, this year, you also won uh, the Landscaping Award for the Capella in Sanya. In the previous year, you received our award for Outstanding Contribution. And adding into this the fact that you're actually a hotelier in your own right with the Shintamani Hotels in Cambodia, we get from you a really full perspective. Bill, tell us how you got from from being a farmer or working in, uh, living on a farm, family farm in, in Anaheim to, to Asia. How did that happen? Well, I, uh, I was very fortunate to get a full scholarship to a little university in, in Boston called Harvard. I went to the Graduate School of Design there and I met many people in my class of 30. Uh, there was only five Yanks in my class. One of them was uh, Lech Bunag, who was a Thai, fa- now he's a very famous Thai uh, architect. And on graduation day, I asked him, hey, Lech, where are you going to go for for uh, for graduation? This is a true story. I said, where are you going after graduation? He said, he's going to go and teach in Singapore. And I said, well, where the hell is that? And he told me it's uh, under China. And I said, just just come. So he gave me the address. And four months later, I was popped up on his doorstep. And the next day, I got a job uh, for working for a landscape architecture company, an American one. 
And the next week I was in Bali designing gardens, happy as a clam. And then you set up your own business in 89 uh, with the, the main aim to do landscaping or was that hospitality from the outset? I, I became a Baliophile and I, I was uh, doing at one point the landscaping for eight out of the nine new hotels that were coming up in Jakarta. And the, the reason that I was so popular at that point was that because I could speak, uh, as a young man, I could speak fluent uh, Indonesian. So I made presentations of my landscape architectural practices in Indonesian to the Indonesian clients. They love that. And that's, uh, so we're still doing lots of landscape work in, in Indonesia, but now I've added architecture and interiors to make it more of a, 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 a whole, whole package, if you will. Let's talk, and let's talk a little bit about that. How would you describe your, your overall uh, design approach when we talk about hotel interiors? Hotels cannot be, how to say, parceled out into the traditional ways anymore, it, meaning that an architect will phone up his, his favorite landscape architect and, and the hotel company will suggest an interior designer, I think that those days are gone. I, I, I think the future of, of hotel, good hotel design has to be designed like with one director, has to be designed with one very strong, um, with, very, with very, one very strong purpose, number one, and one very strong storyline, number two. And that works best if it comes from a single entity makes me think though of, of um, jack of all trades and master of none isn't there room for specialists i mean you were a landscapist at one stage just just doing landscapes didn't you think that that was your specialism you were able to do it better than the generalists i i did do it better but i was doing fabulous gardens for shitty architecture and that doesn't get you anywhere <laughs> okay um there's a there's an indonesian phrase that's been used to describe your work uh libi gila libi bike um, oh, you did that very well. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Uh, this <laughs> translates to the odder, the better. Uh, and I, I certainly see that in some of your projects are, are quite uh, quite wacky. The Twin Peaks in Singapore, uh, there you're referencing both uh, the artwork of uh, Keith Haring uh, and the, the music of the Beatles. Um, would you still think that this is a, is, a, is a good way to describe your work, the odder, the better? I, I do, because uh, how to say um, the hotel business is all about escapism. We, we go to hotels, not because we want to put a head on a bed. We go to hotels to, to, to spend time in some place that is different and, and should be better than one's home. And by being different, um, it, in my, in my world, that translates to being odder. And, and the more odd things are, the more people will talk about it, the more people will, will want to try it. So I think odd, odd, oddities and oddness and quirkiness, if you will, is a, is a real key factor in, in our work over the last 35 years. I've got a, a list of a couple of things that you're up to now. You've got a, a new Sukhothai in Bangkok. Shintamani, you're going to do a surfing resort in China and another capella <laughs> in uh, Hanoi. Can you tell us a little bit about those? The Shintamani in, in Hainan, or, or Shintamani in Xiangsang, which is just north of Hainan, it has a fantastic 
a, a real good beach for for mainland China standards. But the the very strange thing, the odd the odd part about this project is that I'm going to I'm have researched the young surfing, um, the young surfing society of Hainan. That's where the best waves are in China, and there it's surfing there is really catching on. And you wouldn't think China, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no one surf there, but there's a there's a big population that is surfing. And, um, and I've often said, Guy, you've heard me say this so many times that the Chinese have the greatest learning curve in the world. So once they, they catch on to, to something and it becomes, it becomes the thing to do, it can be very successful, this, this odd thing to do. So we're making an entire hotel based on, on, on one health and wellness and, and and sports and surfing and windsurfing and every single every single beach bungalow comes with a two mountain bikes and you're encouraged to to run throughout the property there's 17 and a half kilometers of beachfront and so it's all about getting out and being active and 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 really uh playing to to the young people of 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 china because that's certainly the future so how about uh, briefly Sukhothai Bangkok right in the heart of the city what's all that about Sukhothai Bangkok well you know that there's a wonderful hotel here by uh, Ed Tuttle may he rest in peace that that both he and Carrie Carrie built and so we're we're doing for the same owner we're doing a um a beautiful little 120 room hotel right on the river with a 195 meter frontage on the river, which is unheard of. Uh, we have three three swimming pools, which total uh, 165 meters in length. The aesthetic is as close to being an interpretation of real Sukhothai as, I, as we can get it. You know, Sukhothai was the capital of Thailand about 500 years ago. And I've been there since we've got the project. I've been there probably 15 times. And the ceramics that were made 500 years ago are still being made there today. So that is going to be a key material that we're using in the hotel. There's this particular sucrotized ceramic and those glazes that they use traditionally. Bill, one, one last thing on the upcoming things that you're, you're doing and, and much talked about is uh, Worldwide China, or better known as the, the Human Zoo. Can you just give us a, a few words on that? Guy, that's probably the most exciting project that we have coming up, and that's because I have a very special personal interest in it. Um, and that my personal interest goes back to Shintimani, Shintimani Wild in, uh, in Cambodia. You know, I, I, I have this wonderful 15-tent property there. And the southern this is the one of your own hotels, isn't it? And it's on these, the, uh, the in the Cardamom Reserve, which I think straddles that, three different uh, national parks in in Cambodia. That's exactly right. And uh, it was slated to be a, a titanium mine, and we we bought it, um, and and with the intention of of conservation. So we bought a piece of land much larger than Central Park in New York. With the intention of conservation, and that's conservation of both the forest and the forestry, and also the the wildlife, 
um, since we purchased it uh, eight years ago, we've been patrolling, heavily patrolling. The wildlife is gradually coming back. The gibbons are coming. We saw badger a few a few weeks ago for the first time. We sort of saw slow loris for the first time. Uh, the pangolins are there, but they're still being poached. Hmm? They're still, throughout the cardamoms, the, the, the wildlife is still being poached. And you know, recently too, the pangolins have been tested on that big shipment that went through Singapore. They have their own COVID. They have their own, their own, uh, so they're, they're being shipped into, they're being captured in Cambodia and shipped into Vietnam and to China today and still being eaten with the potential of uh, creating another zoonotic disease. So that's my, that's my personal point. So then, then the new project, as you asked me originally, Guy, is that we're, we've created this, this zoo. Client, Chinese clients came to me and said, Kun Bill, can you make for us a zoo? And I said, well, you know what, Alex, I hate zoos. And he says, no, 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 we're serious. We want you to create a zoo. So I went away and I thought, oh, what the hell can we do? I came back to them and I thought, well, let's, you know, let's try to spin this in order to, to make, uh, make a win-win situation. So I went, I got on my bike and went all over China. I spent two weeks and we, I, we went to every, every single zoo that was, we, could get, we could get into. And you know what, guys? It's pretty darn pathetic what the, the zoos, zoos are there. So we've got this piece of land again, you know, twenty thousand hectares, something like that. It's a huge piece of land. Right now, it's agricultural, and there's there's some eucalyptus forest there and such. And I came back to the clients and I said, "Okay, well, let's do a zoo, but I want to do it in a way that ninety five percent of the land that you've given us is for animals to run free without fences, and five percent of that land is we can de- devote towards people." thus creating you know, the reversal, the role reversal and, and the, where the people are in the zoo and the animals are free. Bill, let, let's move on, if we may. Um, uh, I'd like to go back to sort of the pre-corona days and ask you, when was the last time you got on or got off a plane? Where were you coming back from? Um, the last time was I got on a plane was in London and, and you're part of the world. And I just, um, that was on March 3rd. And I was coming, I was going to go to, you probably were too, that, um, that big, that big convention in Berlin, the travel, what's it called? IT, ITB? ITB, yep. Yeah, ITB. I was coming from London because I received a award from TTG Luxury Travel Awards. And it was a contribution to luxury travel. And then I was supposed to go to ITB to get another award. And then, but that, I, that, as you know, they, they canceled that show. So I got on a plane and came back here and haven't moved out of my house since. How do you see travel looking over the next 20 years, looking perhaps beyond the, the COVID uh, pandemic? How do you think the global shifts in travel are going to look? I Well, I am an internal optimist. I, I think that that it's everybody... I think this this time of reflection as within the hotel business is everyone's going to look very seriously and how we can travel better and how we can travel with a purpose, how we can travel longer and less frequently. I think that's going to be the key to the way we travel in the next 20 years. 
what else do you see in, in terms of travel? Is there other other thoughts on that? Well, I know one of the questions you were going to ask me, guys, that uh, if there wasn't COVID, where would I be right now? And I would be, right today, I would be on the Mongolia-Russian border. And I would have a, a fishing rod in my hand, a fly fishing rod in my hand, and a box full of little tiny flies, which are all barbless. And I would be probably picking up my between my 50th and my 80th trout, uh, all, all over 20 inches in, in the one day, all catch and release, of course. Um, perhaps we should dive in now to, to the actual design side of things uh, and look at uh, specifically how hotels uh, will look in 20 years' time, uh, a new paradigm for hospitality design over the next two decades, perhaps. I have a, a particular need, and I haven't fulfilled it yet professionally, and that is that I think we are building too many new hotels, Guy. I think that we should, as, as a hotel industry, look at the refurbishment of, of what we already have. And I see that really clearly in the Maldives, is that the, Mal, the Maldives now is, you know, they, they build new hotels one after another, and they let the old ones, because they're cheaper to build a new one, they let the old ones go to pot and become wasteland and become rather ghettos that fall apart and fall into the ocean. Is that a question of persuading governments to control licensing for new development? Absolutely, yes. I think that the governments should also provide tax incentives for the upcycling of furniture, the upcycling of materials, the upcycling of anything that goes into a hotel, because everything does not have to be brand new. And at 99.9% of the new hotels that we're building now are absolutely brand new. And and it's such a, it's such a a poor, poor use of our resources. Could you give me some specifics on that, perhaps on on the upscale, some of the upscaling ideas that you've done, the sort of uh, uh, repurposing of of different things, different materials or or furnishings? Well, for example, the uh, JW Marriott in in Phu Quoc. Have you been there? Did you get there? I've I've not. No, I've not been there. Not there. Okay. Well, we have something like uh, 4,500 unique items that have been including, and much of it's from England, and including, uh, you know, the libraries and the artwork and the fans and the mirrors and the, yeah, so many, so many of the items that we have are, are used and many of them are 200, 300, 500 years old that you can pick up for a song and it creates a, a very unique environment that you can't find anywhere else. But it's a it's it's a great environmental environmental move too. In Asia, you've got a lot of um, uh, people with great handcrafts still uh, who could repurpose this stuff and, and and reinterpret it, perhaps. Sure, you know we for we had about in order to get those four thousand five hundred unique items, I had something like seven containers, full containers, come to my studio here in Bangkok. And that's what we did for about a year and a half was that I have seven fine artists and we just took those items and we repurposed them. We framed them. We, we painted them. We, we turned them into something new. Uh, and, and it was very, and then we shipped them on to Vietnam, but it was a very rewarding and very gratifying thing to do is to, 
is to upcycle. That's that's the that's that's the future, I think. So let's perhaps uh, looking at uh, hotel design, look through, do a sort of quick run through of the hotel itself, place by place. Bill, how about uh, we take a look at spa and wellness? How do you think that's going to look uh, in the next two decades? Well, I I'm working on a great project right now in the Caribbean, and we're creating um, a Taino village, if you will. Taino is where the... Taino? What's that? A Taino. A Taino. The, the Taino Indians were inhabited the, the Caribbean islands long before Christopher Columbus got there and with his various diseases, et cetera, and before the Spanish came and, and uh, wiped, basically wiped, wiped the slate clean from the Taino Indians. But we still know quite a lot about them, and I've been working with an archaeologist there, and he's been sharing with me his findings and such, and we have... Um, we've been studying the, the plans of their, of their, of their old cities, if you will, of their own, of their own towns. And I have, I have based a, a wellness, uh, a, a wellness, a spa based a plan, uh, on this ancient village of one of the islands of the Caribbean. And basically each one of these each one of their houses, they had various, various sizes of houses. And, and for the most part, they were either oblong or round. Very few of them were square. Uh, they, and we know that the shapes of them because we could still see in the ground the, the, where the foundations were. Um, so I've created creating a, a valley, if you will, that is completely inward looking on this island, completely inward looking so that... and. And this valley has very steep, imagine, very steep slopes. And this, this terracing on these steep slopes is all filled with the, with the, um, the food crops that would have been eaten, would have been enjoyed by the Taino Indians in 2,000 years ago. Uh, and at the same time, on stilts above this, this terraced gardens, on stilts are these grass hut um, of various sizes on all different levels. Uh, is this we're creating, recreating this this Taino village, if you will, with with bridges and so forth to connect and to connect each one. But each one of these um, small houses has a very say 2030, very very high tech. Um, wellness like you know iv and and uh, as uh how to say the um, medical wellness yeah medical wellness the top shelf medical wellness thank you what is normally in one big building we've broken it down into a, a series of we've exploded that over a over a, a valley that's something like 200 meters long and you know why we've done that it's because i want people to walk in the gardens, in the jungles. I want people to get out in, and because I feel that, 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 um, that interaction with, uh, being in a forest is, is much, much better for you than as sitting in front of an IG, IV drip. Right. So I, I'm very much a proponent of wilderness and, and being out, being back, going back to nature and being, uh, and being listened to, being being wet by 
being uh, being soaked by the rain. I think that's a good thing. Listening to birds, uh, and and that's an experience that f- so few of us city dwellers have anymore. The whole biophilia idea is really taking off, and and that's proven medically to benefit the healing uh, time for for patients and what have you. If there's greenness and plant life around them, so it sounds like a, a great idea. What do you think is going to happen to the guest room in 20 years' time? Do you think it's going to be bigger, smaller? Are we going to be looking to have gym equipment brought into our room, having bigger spaces for private dining? You mentioned earlier I've written this white paper on sustainability. And one of the main things on this paper is, is how to design a better guest room. And it, a lot of it is so, a lot of what I've written about is so, is so basic. All guest rooms should not have any glass that's directly in the sun. All the air conditioning space should be set back into shady areas. I'm going to ask you a question, okay? What percent of the, of the new hotels that are built now have light from one side or two sides or three sides or four sides? Any idea? Most of them only have light from one side if they're lucky. So say 60 percent no, one side. 99.1% no, of the new hotels that are built today, because most of the hotel rooms built today are, are, are in the city. And they're, they're, have a, yeah, they're double loaded corridors. So that's one of the things that we, we have to do in 20 years time is that very simple idea of getting light from both sides so that you don't have to turn on the lights in the bathroom. Lastly, let's just take a look at uh, dining and F&B areas, uh, obviously a place of social uh, congregation. How do you think they're going to look uh, over, over the next uh, years? I think that once the, once we all get herd immunity, that we're, we are probably going to dine together as we, you know, as we, you know, we're pack animals. We like to do that. Uh, I, I think, and I hope that this is a, a real catalyst to, to get rid of the, get rid of the, of the buffets and not, not just because they're spread, they, they have the potential to spread the disease, but because they waste so darn much food. Right. So I, I, it's, that's something that we, in, in, in our hotels, we don't do anymore is we don't put out these big lavish buffets, but you can still get whatever you like to do in our hotel. Well, thanks very much indeed, Bill. Uh, it's been great talking to you as always, uh, ever the optimist. Thank you once again so much for your time, Bill Bensley. Well, thank you, Gary. It was always a pleasure to, to have a little giggle with you. Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design.